Hello, everyone. My name is Faith Strand. Um, I began as a resident back in June, serving with the Trinity Student Ministry. And let me just say, we have some of the best youth ever. I have loved serving with the students. Yes. I've loved serving with them. I'd love to get to know a little bit more about who they are. And I can't wait to see what the Lord does this next year. And my name is Seth Strand. And I'm going to be joining you guys for some months here in the beginning of this year just to work with Garfield Park and I'm just so excited to see what God's going to begin doing through that ministry. Hear now the word of the Lord as found in Psalm 19. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak. Night after night they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth. And their words to all the world. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. It bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding. It rejoice like a great athlete eager to run the race. The sun rises at one end of the heavens and follows its course to the other end. Nothing can hide from its heat. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The, the commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart, and the commandments of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever and the laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They are among more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even dripping from the comb. They're a warning to your servant, a great reward to those who obey them. These words are true. Lord, we love you, and we are so grateful um, for beauty. I pray that there would be a divine reclaiming of our hearts, that we might come into harmony with creation and sing of how good you are. If you would, just ask, say, Lord, speak to me today. Speak to me today. God, speak to me. If you would, ask the Lord to speak to the people around you. If you're sitting with your spouse or your kids, or even if you don't know who it is that you're sitting next to, you can still pray for them. Ask that God would move in their life. And if you would, even um, pray for somebody in your life that maybe doesn't know the Lord and needs Christ. Maybe there's somebody, you go, man, I, God, if you just move in this person's life, please pray on their behalf. That God would speak to them some way, somehow.
And then if you don't mind, just pray for me. Um, Ask that I would communicate the truths of God clearly. The word would fill me and pour out of me in a clear way too for his name to be known. I love you, Jesus. And your wonderful name, that your peace beckon us. In your name, Jesus, amen. You guys are great. You can have a seat. It is good to be here today in the house of the Lord. It is very cold. It is very, very cold, but you all came out still. I love that. In fact, we got up this morning, we were driving in, and my wife, uh, she was like, hey, how cold does it have to get to cancel church? And I was like, listen, we're from, we moved up here from Dallas. These are northern people. I think the people that are like native to this area, they, they don't mind. They just, they do it. This is nothing to them. Uh, now, the other... The other, it is still cold. Amen to that. Uh, now, the other funny thing, too, coming in, my wife was, was uh, I, I was born in 79, and she came later by the time the 80s hit. Uh, and so technically, she's a millennial. So when she was like, what do we do if it's so cold? I was like, you millennials are so weak. I don't know. It's a, <laughs> even though I'm only a few months from being there, too. Uh, but I, I do love it. And I love that I get to be here with you all this morning on this very cold but wonderful Sunday morning. Uh, If you would open up your Bibles to Psalm 19, Psalm 19, if you would turn there. The Strands did a great job reading that a little bit ago. We love having them on our team. We love raising up next, uh, the next generation of leaders. And it's so fun to continue to bring even more on, uh, on board with us. And so how, how great is that? As you're turning to Psalm 19, uh, I remember years ago, years ago, I remember uh, growing up in the church and I attended uh, Sunday night services. So how many here, like you have been involved in the church for more than probably 20, 30 years, like that or longer? You got, you've been around the church for a long time. Okay, if you've been in the church for a long time, you probably remember, you probably remember when uh, you would do Sunday morning church Then you would come back for Sunday night church. Then you would come back for Wednesday night church. Does anybody remember doing that? Okay, yeah. So if you've been around long enough, Barna now says that the average church attender goes to church about twice a month. So we've gone from two times a month, and it used to be three times a week was your like fully engaged person. That's crazy how much that's shifted. So for me, back when I was a kid growing up, my dad was the pastor, um, and my dad was also a professor at the local university, and my mom was a professor and then also a counselor. And so uh, I grew up in a church that highly valued deep theology. My dad was just kind of made that way. He was really great at that. And so Sunday nights for us in the church I grew up in were theology nights. And my dad would basically like switch hats. So Sunday morning was more like kind of classic preaching, proclamation, the the good news. And Sunday nights, it would almost like, he'd almost like put on his professor hat. Uh, I don't know, but I've always wondered if he would literally just do like class lectures in church. I don't know. Uh, But Sunday nights was that. So I learned my eschatology, the Pauline letters, the structure of scripture. I mean, like all of this stuff. I mean, even like creation and the different accounts of it and like day age and gap theories and all that. I learned all this stuff 
in church as a kid on Sunday nights. All of that for me. I loved all my education. I think I really learned more under my dad's theology Sunday night services than I maybe did anything else or anywhere else. Awesome. Another thing that I remember about Sunday nights is we would do worship in that 70s style worship center. I can still Like when I remember it, I can still like remember the smell, the musty like wooden pews of the 70s style worship service rooms. Gosh, that's crazy how it just is embedded in your head. Another thing we do on Sunday nights is we would do hymn call outs. Does anybody remember or aware of hymn call out nights? Oh, we only got a couple in here. First hour, everybody knew it. That just (laughs) is evidence of age maybe. I don't know. Uh, But hymn call outs are this. In the pews, you would have these hymnals, right? So like all the old hymns of the past on pages and paper. So like these are dead trees here for our young people. And they would have the songs listed out on them. And then the pastor, our worship leader was Lauren Tupper. Lauren Tupper would walk to the front and he would say, what song do you want to sing? And the congregation then would raise their hand and they would open the hymnal and they'd be like, song, we want to do page 429. You turn to like the song 429. Uh, oh, no, 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 no. We'd all sing that, that hymn. That was hymn call out. And I loved it as a kid. Because if you went to the back of the hymnal, they had all the sweet songs like, Oh, Canada. (laughs) And as a kid, I loved, loved. I'd sit right in the front, like with my mom. My mom would make me sit in the front. And uh, I'd sit in the front with my mom, and they would do the the call-outs. And and when I first started doing this, I would get called on. So I'd raise my hand. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I want number 389. It's like, 389? Nobody ever calls that out. You know, because everybody calls out the same numbers always. And so go to the very back and it's like, oh, Canada. And Pastor Tupper in front of everybody would look at me like, we're not doing that. <laughs> and so eventually I'd be a little kid raising me, I want to call one out. And he just would stop calling on me because, you know, I would always mess it up, which I thought was really fun. <laughs> after we did the hymn call outs, after dad was done with his deep theology night lecture sermon, uh, we would do a prayer time in the service. And if you've ever been a part of those old school Sunday night style prayer services, they're just different. He would basically open up the front. It wasn't way structured. There wasn't a ton of like order to it. He would just say, hey, if you want to pray, come on forward. Sometimes there'd be testimonies. Sometimes there wouldn't be. Sometimes the testimonies were really awkward and funny. You know, it's like almost somebody's ratting out somebody else in the room, you know, for doing so. It's awesome. All good country church style stuff. But boy, you'd watch these people come up And some of these prayer warrior older ladies and gentlemen would just weep before God on Sunday nights. It was so powerful looking back. And we would always begin our prayer services with this phrase. My dad would walk up and he'd say, everybody bow your head and close your eyes. I've heard that phrase thousands of times. You guys heard that? Like growing up, bow your head, close your eyes, bow your head, close your eyes. I always thought like, okay, bow your head, close your eyes. I always thought like, why? Why do we have to bow our heads and close our eyes? And, and, and as I've gotten a little bit older and I've got a little more education under my belt, the reality is there's a lot of honor in that. You know, bow the humility, close our eyes, cut off the distractions of the world. There's even some church history stuff in there that's kind of interesting. It's not bad, but I want to offer this idea to you. The traditional posture, and it's not bad, the traditional posture of bowing down and closing off the world, that traditional posture, it isn't the only way to pray. Here's the thought. You can also 
look up. In fact, as crazy as it sounds, the Bible is full of moments where some of the most powerful times in prayer are about people looking up. Not just shutting down and turning out, which isn't bad, that's not wrong, to turn out the noise, but like the wonder, the awe, the, the, the captivated. About a thousand years before Jesus would be born, there was a young king who was coming into his own in a significant way. He had established his kingdom and he was a passionate follower of God by the name of David. And I can only imagine the scene, I put it together, I constructed it, at least in my imagination, based on context of the poetry that he left behind. But the idea that seems to be laid out in scripture is one night, thousands of years ago, King David walks outside and he looks up in the air and he sees the firmament, the bowl, the universe covered in stars. And, and this isn't like walking outside in the city. I mean, even now, I, I tried this the other night out of curiosity, thinking about even this kind of a sermon, right? I walked outside and I looked up and you're just, we're too close to Indianapolis. You can see like a hundred stars maybe, right? Even on the clearest of skies. But it wouldn't have been true for him. He was far enough away from all of the city lights where he could look up and literally see thousands of stars across the sky. And, and David had this moment where he was so captivated by the beauty of the cosmos, he wrote a poem. And, and, and we lose some of the power of this because, you know, like when you're translating languages, it's so appropriate for this service, you know, with our bilingual stuff that we do. But like, Whenever you're translating like a song, sometimes in the original language, it'll rhyme well. But when it's translated, it kind of loses that, that tone and feel or how it rhymes. It's just not quite exactly the same when it's translated. Well, this is true too. Like you can do this on YouTube. Don't do it now. But you can go to YouTube, look up Psalm 19 and find Hebrew scholars in the original Hebrew, ancient Hebrew, reading these poems. And it's crazy how poetic they are. And you lose that when it's translated. But David looks up in the sky and Psalm 119, what we call now Psalm 119, he says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Out of curiosity, when I was looking at, I was doing some of the original language stuff, just looking and listening to the poetry of it. And though I am not a linguist, that is not, that's not my education vein. Um, I still like to do a little translation just for the fun of it on my own. You know, the, enough of the tools are readily available. You can kind of play with that. And so I, I did a mic paraphrase of this. Are you ready? So this is looking at the Hebrew, trying to say this in a way that uses the most modern Midwest language to encompass what I believe the heart of David was trying to get across. Okay, so this is not the NIV. This is the Mike SV, and it is not the Word of God. It's just a Mike paraphrase. Bear with me. But this is it. Like, as close as I could get it from the Hebrew, paraphrased directly into, like, our very common modern language. This is the way I would maybe say it. Imagine David walking outside, looking in the sky, glorious night. 
he's overwhelmed by it. And he says, the overwhelming beauty of the heavens echoes God's voice like all the stars are singing. They are the all-encompassing evidence, poetic evidence that he is at work. David. You jump forward a few thousand years. I mean, so it's, it's not just David, but the same stars that you and I are impressed by are the same stars that David was impressed by. And then even in between us, right, like you have like guys like Joseph Addison. I'm sure you're aware of his poetry, whether you know it or not. But Joseph Addison in the 18th century, he said it like this. The stars forever singing as they shine. The hand that made us is divine. The same wonder and awe that David had as he stood under that night sky. And here's the really crazy thing. Like, King David isn't merely saying that the world is beautiful, though it is. He is looking up, and he is saying the world is beautiful. He is saying that the universe is beautiful and that it is impressive. But it's not merely that. The Psalms as a whole, not even only David's work, the Psalms as a whole invite us to participate in this transcendent, prayerful song of wonder. It is literally the awe of God calling us to be in awe. When we look up and we are captivated by the handiwork of God, we join in the same spectacular choir King David sang with. The stars don't only sing for us, but they sing with us as we partake in enjoying the charitable love of God. And, and I, I love that imagery of a choir. This is David's imagery, the imagery of a choir. So think of it like when you look up and you see the arm of the Milky Way galaxy, it's literally like a choir singing of the handiwork of God. And David, at one point in his life, steps out thousands of years ago. And while that choir is singing, he sings with it. Thousands of years later, we come out and the same choir that David sang with is singing. And we join that choir that David sang with too. What a thought. Now, thanks to modern technology, uh, I can do more than just, I can do more than just tell you about it. I can actually show you pictures of this. And, uh, and so I want to show you a picture. This is just the night sky. See if we can get this up here. So this is just the night sky. So if you and I were to go outside, th this is amazing. The reason you don't see this in Indianapolis is there's too much they call it light pollution. There's too much light outside and the stars, the contrast isn't strong enough when you're in a city. But if you get far enough away from it, you can look up in the sky and see a whole lot more. So this is an image of the night sky, okay? So anybody here, like you're really into like James Webb, you'd like to like get on there and look at all the different pictures of space. You, you like that kind of stuff? I like that kind of stuff. I can spend hours going through the James Webb telescope images. Those are cool. And so up here, I want you to imagine, you're looking at the night sky, and as you're looking at the night sky, just how vast and big it is, you go to one little tiny pinprick of it. And you zoom in, okay? So this is the Eagle Nebula. Go ahead and go to the next slide here. 
You zoom into the Eagle Nebula. On that, so this is a pinprick of the sky zoomed in, and we're going to look at one section of that pinprick. This is actually like a pinprick of a pinprick, but we're going to go zoom in, and now this one is, this is the new James Webb high definition picture of that little circled area that was in the picture of the other picture, right? So zoom in, zoom in. This is beautiful. They call these the pillars of creation. This is one of the many places in the sky where stars are born. Billions of stars making billions of planets. Now, when you look at this, okay, so again, you got to imagine it's the vast space, the pinprick of the like pinprick of the section of it, and these little parts of it, the pillars. If you look at one of these pillars, the distance between the bottom and the top of that little like primary pillar, they believe that like light years of distance, they believe that distance right there is over three billion Earths tall. Let that settle in for a second. You're stacking billions of Earths up on each other to measure one of these. In fact, I was like, man, that's so pretty. So this, like, you look at the huge, vast sky, one pinprick of a one pinprick of a section of it zoomed in, and right there, we're looking at one of the pillars. If I wanted to take my family on a road trip, right down, like, the center of just that little place right there, like, road trip! So we could load them all in the car. They would love it. You know, I mean, they complain about being in the car for, you know, six, seven hours in a row. Imagine millions of years. But so, like, you pack them in here, and and we take off average speed we're going to explore in 10 million years of driving we would cover a third of one of them that doesn't even count potty breaks right so dad I got to go to the bathroom our next stop is 10 million years you can hold it right like no I mean this is literally just driving and looking out of the window checking things out as we traverse this this is so big. I want to offer a thought, the wonder of God, offer a thought. Right before our eyes is the evidence of eternal omnipotence. When people say things like, oh, the idea of an omnipotent, that's ridiculous. The idea of all-powerful, that's silly. Listen, right before our eyes is the evidence of omnipotence. All you have to do is look up. And this omnipotence invites you to join in its song. C.S. Lewis says it like this, in commanding us to glorify God, God is inviting us to enjoy him. So like, because God is love, he loves making beautiful things and loves making things to enjoy his beauty. When God says, worship me, it is the only thing in all of creation that by demanding us to worship it is literally us stepping into the very thing that satisfies us most. St. Arrhenius says it like this, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. In fact, maybe I'll reword it because it was written so long ago. Maybe the way to say it is this. A person experiences life to the full 
when they are captivated by God, that is the purpose of your creation. It's to be locked into the wonder and awe of God. John Piper says it like this, Dr. Piper, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. I want to invite Josh back up again. Let me pull some of these ideas together. If you don't mind, go back to the first image. Pull it up again. The picture of space just kind of laid out. If you can find that on there and pull that up. Let's see, I think I got it here. A number this last summer, so while they're finding that. I took my kids on a road trip, and, and I'd love, I love to drive. Anybody here, you'd like to, like, like to drive? I like road trips. I actually like to drive. Some people hate it. There is just something so fun for me to get out on the open road. I love it. It's like I'm breaking free from all the expectations and work and things I got to do. There's just something so freeing about driving. And I can do it. I can do it for hours. I can drive for hours. As my family knows, just put me in the driver's seat and let me go. And I actually enjoy it, like watch the landscape change. And I actually enjoy even like when you're driving into a storm. I know this sounds crazy, but like when you look out of the car window and you're driving, you get to see like the huge clouds begin to roll in. There's just something so powerful about that. I love it. You know, and inevitably I got a car full of kids, so you're always stopping to go pee and go to the bathroom. So you pull over and I definitely know what it's like to be a dad to pull over and be like, all right, five minutes, get your pee out, your barfs out, your poops, anything you got in you, just get it out, get back in the car. Like I know what that's like as a parent too. But we took our kids on a long road trip out West this last summer. We went to Wyoming um, and I, I love the West. Leslie and I, when we were young, we used to go out there a lot and snow ski and explore. We did some whitewater rafting. It was really fun out in the Colorado area. And I wanted to take my kids. We wanted to go see like the Grand Tetons. We wanted to see Old Faithful. I wanted to get out west. I wanted adventure. I don't even know if that direction is west. I'm just west. It's not west. West. Wherever west is, it's here. And we get out there and my wife found an awesome uh, cabin for us to stay in. It was really tiny, but I thought it was cool. Um, out kind of in the middle of nowhere. You know, we're, what, maybe 45 minutes an hour from the Grand Tetons. And I love it. In fact, if I had my choice, I would always try to find a place as far away from civilization as possible. I just, I love that. I love to get out. I love to get away. And one night, uh, I had checked the weather. It was going to be clear. And uh, I, I told the kids, I was like, hey, I want to go take you out to the middle of nowhere. And the sun had already set. It's already dark. Julia was already asleep. Kara should have been asleep. She was still awake, so I took her with me. And uh, we loaded the kids in the car. He's like, Dad, where are we going? I'm like, we're going nowhere. Uh, well, what are we going to see? Nothing. We're going to go nowhere and see nothing. And we're going to get there in about an hour. And it's, Dad, it's late. I know. Just get in the car. So I get the kids in the car and we drive. And so finally, I found this place on the map. I mean, you could like put your finger down. It's like, Nothing is around you. It's awesome. Like nothing is around you. And so I stop the car. I get out of the car. And I'm like, come on, get out of the car. You know, turn all the lights off. Everything shuts down. Like, where are we? We're nowhere. Well, what's around here? Nothing. Why are we nowhere with nothing? Because that's how we see everything. 
It's like, kids, we're out. I'm like, look up. Just look up. So they look up. When you're that far away from all the light pollution, and it's a clear, they call it big sky country for a reason. And it's just like, you can literally see like the arm of the Milky Way. Thousands and thousands of stars. You know, and the kids were like, whoa, this is cool. Kara, my seven-year-old, she was like standing outside of the sunroof kind of a deal, like climbed up up there and she was looking out there just looking at everything. The kids were outside. Initially, they were even taking some pictures with their phone, but you realize pretty quick, it's not, you, like you can't capture that. And so pretty soon the phones all disappear and the kids are just out there, just, they're just walking, just kind of on the gravel road, just looking around at the stars, how massive it is. And I did something super cool. I looked at my kids while they were looking at the stars. I'm looking at my kids as they're looking at the stars. And it started with Kara, just because she was next to me. And I look over at Kara, and Kara's just like this, the seven-year-old. and Emma, they're out there just looking at the stars, captivated. I felt so much joy watching them watch the stars. Right? I felt so much joy watching them watch the stars. Do you understand? That's the whole point. God made all this and made us with the capacity to enjoy Him. That is the purpose of everything. God takes so much joy in us being captivated by his wonder. That's what prayerful looking up is. It is us taking joy in God as God takes joy in us taking joy in him. How's that for a run-on sentence? I love it. It is us taking joy in God as God takes joy in us, taking joy in him. I believe, I believe, and often overlooked, this is so important. I believe an often overlooked part of prayer isn't us asking God for things though that's not bad. Like when you go, Lord, I really want my investments to go well. Lord, I really want this thing to work out well. Lord, I would really like a new job. Lord, I would really like to have. Lord, I really need. Lord, I really want. Like those are fine. I'm not saying that's bad. Keep doing that. 
But I believe an often overlooked part of prayer isn't us asking God for things or asking God for our will actualized. Oh, Lord, help the Colts to win or whatever, right? Like, this is my will, my desire. I wish my will or my desire would work. Like, asking God for those things isn't necessarily always bad or wrong. It can be, but it's not necessarily bad or wrong. But hear me clearly. Oh, hey, look up here before we finish what's on the screen. You will not spend your eternity asking God to help you get over a cold. You are not going to spend your eternity asking God to help your aunt get better. You are not to spend eternity asking God for your investments to be okay as the market goes wild. That's not your eternal destiny. I think one of the core purposes of prayer is being lost in the beauty of God. You spend eternity. Whoa. This is so good. Look up. This is what I want for you. This is what I want for you. I, I, man. What I, what I would love for each one of you. This is what I want for you. I want you. More than anything else, I want you captivated by the wonder and awe of God. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for you. In fact, if you would stand your feet, and I, I want to I pray over you. Just let's change our posture really quick. Uh, I'm just about done. I want to acknowledge, I want to acknowledge there are people out there you hear what I'm saying and you're like, that would be cool. I can't think of a better uh, metaphor for this, so bear with me. I'm going to call it the, the stubbed toe situation. Okay, so you get a stubbed toe situation. Some of you out there right now, you're listening to this, you're like, that's awesome. But here's what it's like for you, okay? So you want to go on a walk. You're like, hey, I'm going to go outside. I'm going to go on a really pretty walk. Pretend it's like a nice spring morning. The flowers are starting to bud. It's really nice outside. You know, you're like, hey, let's go. I want to go on a walk. So you go outside and you start off on a walk. And while you're looking around, you're like, oh, it's so pretty outside. The sun is finally out. It's so warm. Not like actually now, but you know, like it's warm outside and you can kind of like hear the birds chirping and you're enjoying nature and you're kind of lost in it. And then just imagine with me, you're out on a walk and then bam, you stub your toe really hard on a rock. What happens when you stub your toe? You can't pay attention to any of the beauty because your toe is screaming at you. I want to acknowledge there are some people in this room, you would love to see the beauty of God, but you have something in your life right now that is screaming at you. I want to acknowledge that there are people that are there. pray for that, that God would give you the ability to heal, make whole, make right, somehow help your heart to get to the place where you can 
look up and be lost in the beauty and wonder again. If you would, let me pray for you. Maybe even just put your hands like like you're receiving a gift. God, in your name, I ask, I, I think of the choir of creation, the choir of creation. I wonder what it sounds like when a star is being made. Billions and billions of stars, billions of mountains, billions of sunrises. And like G.K. Chesterton says, you say, do it again, do it again, do it again. Every flower that blooms, millions of them in a field. Every sunrise over every mountain that happens over and over again on billions of planets. Every unique landscape. Do it again, do it again, do it again. God, you love making beautiful things. And you made us to enjoy it for forever. The chief end of man as the catechism says, is to enjoy you forever. Literally, you designed us to be captivated in awe of you. And Lord, for some of us, it's like the enemy has come along and he's stubbed our toe and and we want in our heart to be captivated by you, but there's this thing that's in the way. And so in the name of Jesus, I ask on behalf of these people in whom you love more than I ever could, I ask that you would deal with the, and I can't think of a better metaphor, God, but the stubbed toe things that they might be lost in your wonder again. Let them know shalom. Not just the absence of pain, but the presence of unbelievable beauty and satisfaction. Let them be able to look up and be captivated by you. In a state of prayer, just be before God. And I'm okay even in a state of prayer if you just want to ask, God, show me your wonder.